Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Tim Ryan, an associate pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. My mom had a couple of beliefs that, that, she, that she held to. One of them was, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. Don't write it in your notes. But she held to that. Can you see what, what, what she's feeling about God? The other statement that she often said, God has bigger things in the world to handle, so he doesn't have time for me. Also not in the Bible. Don't write it down. Sometimes our personal theology of God and how he is involved in the world or how he is involved in our lives gets in the way of our personal relationship with him. Sometimes our personal theology of how he is involved in the world or in our lives gets in the way of our own personal relationship with him. Now, I just want to take a very quick quick and simple look at God's sovereignty that will set up the rest of the message. The question that we often ask ourselves, is God really, really involved in the details of life, and does he actually care about the little things in our life? A couple weeks ago, I was going through McDonald's, was looking forward to one of those peppermint mochas. Those are really, really good. I love them. I get through the drive-thru. This is not a knock on McDonald's. I will continue to go to McDonald's, okay? But uh, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of peppermint. Oh. Okay, well, I'll just have a regular mocha. Those are pretty good. And, you know, can I have a, a gingerbread cookie or ginger snap cookie? Yeah, sure. I get through the line and give me my mocha. Sorry, the... The cookies are still in the oven. They're being made fresh right now. Can you wait a couple of minutes? Unfortunately, I didn't know if I had enough margin, so I said, I'm really sorry. I, I, I really, really have to go. I have to leave. Well, do you want your money back? And I'm thinking, I, I wouldn't mind my money back for the cookie that I'm not going to get, but <laughs> I don't have time for that either. How we look at that, how I could have, or how some of us may have looked at that in our lives, would go, oh, God doesn't even care. I didn't get my peppermint mocha. Because there's three different views in the world, generally three different basic views in the world about how God interacts. One is the deistic theory that God created the universe, gave it powers, gave the earth and the universe powers to just keep going on its own, and then God left, supposedly on a holiday or something, and just became a spectator of the world and all that goes on. So he really doesn't care about the details of my life or the world. The other theory is the deterministic theory that every minute detail is controlled by God. God did not want me to have that mocha with peppermint, nor the ginger snap cookie. It was determined by God. Mm -mm. 
In that view, he's seen as a micromanager of the world. Then there's the theory of concurrence or involvement. Don't worry, I'm not going to get really, really deep here. But it's helpful for us to understand because even though we don't know the terms, we have those thoughts and ideas. Though God's will is not the only force in the universe, without his involvement, no force or person can continue to exist or act. If God wasn't here, it just life wouldn't happen at all. His power interpenetrates that of people without destroying it or observing it, absorbing it. We retain our natural powers and exercise them, and this is where God's divine providence comes in. God's continuous activity in the world is where he makes all the events of the physical, the mental, the moral realms work out for his purpose. And this purpose is nothing short of the original design of God in creation. To be sure, evil has entered the universe, but he's not allowed to thwart God's original benevolent, wise, or holy purpose. In this view, God is seen as the planner. And this is kind of where I would step in. He's not He's not a spectator that he's not involved at all. He's not so deterministic that he creates every minute detail of my life. He's in the middle. Now, we as humans try to describe and explain God. We try. But we will never be able to do it properly because he is actually God and I am not. So I try the best I can to figure out how in the world is God working in my life? How does he work in Southeast Manitoba? How does he work in the world when we look at the news? Like what in the world and in the universe is God doing? I was having a conversation with someone recently about some of these things that I just shared, about the sovereignty of God. And we talked about it a little bit, and he told me, he says, you know, actually... God plays all three roles in perfect balance, not unlike an athletic coach. And I coached soccer for, for many years, played some soccer. And I understood, and if I watch professional sports, particular team sports, then you'll see how the coach actually at times stands back and watches. Other times he leans into the player and coaches them a little bit. Sometimes he actually tosses some people. He's actually, the coach is actually working. It's not the perfect analogy, but if you see it, he's, he's working the team for the ultimate goal. So there's times he's back in. There's times when he's really moving in, and he's got the details all in. And then other times he's working along with the whole team. Sometimes we see his purposes. Sometimes even abusive, and therefore we see ourselves as pawns in a universal conspiracy, but that's not God, as we'll see. That's, that's not God. That's somebody's idea of God, but that's actually not God. I want us to see God's good plan. God has a worldwide plan. Ephesians 1, even before he made the world, God loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God. We praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace, and he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins, and he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. What a great God. Ephesians 3. Apostle Paul as, says, As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, although through the prophets, a little bit. But now, now, by his Spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and his prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy. For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because it was His plan. His plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by appearing in Jesus Christ. By the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death and he showed us the way of everlasting life through the good news. And then in Galatians 1 it says, May the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. Planned. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the good news. 1 Corinthians. This is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, Apostle Paul writes. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the, same pl in the first place. I pass on to you what was most important and is what been passed on to me. This is what is most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. Romans 10, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you and I confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you and I will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John chapter 3, verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He loves the world.
Now, there have been many times as I've shared this particular verse that most of us have heard, read, memorized. And if I'm sitting down with somebody trying to lead them into a relationship with Jesus, I would take this verse and I go and I translate it and I go, For God so loved Tim or whoever you are in front of me. For God so loved Tim that he gave his one and only son that if Tim believes in him, he would have eternal life. He would never die. Is that true? Yes. But that's actually not what Jesus was trying to communicate. He was sitting one-on-one -on -one with Nicodemus, one person. He could have said, for God so loved you, Nicodemus, but he didn't. He was communicating to Nicodemus. He's trying to commute to all, communicate to all of us in his word that God loved the world. He's got the whole world in his plan. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the, right? He's got the whole world. And then he says, I'm going to build my church. This is how I'm going to do it. Matthew 16, now I say to you that you are Peter, one of the apostles, the disciples. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon Peter, but also upon the truth that Peter had, that you are the Christ, the Messiah. I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 3. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display, to use the church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety of all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he chooses to work through people in the church. He chooses to work through people to enact and fulfill his good plan. Are you getting the idea that there's a plan? There is a plan. And God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit know exactly what they're doing. And then Ephesians 2, he says, For we, we, are God's masterpiece. And he created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Long ago, he planned for us. What does God plan for you? What does he have in store for you? What has he been doing? What has he been working on? What's been going on in your life in 2015? What's going to happen next year? One of my favorite Christian bands is a band called Casting Crowns. And they wrote a really neat song that, that kind of captured me a number of months ago when I first heard it. It's called Dream for You. And they write it in this particular verse as if God is speaking to David of the Old Testament. And they write, Hey David, I hear you've been dreaming about being a big-time shepherd someday. You're going to prove your brothers wrong. You're going to sing your shepherd's song to the cattle on a thousand hills. 
But I've been thinking, God says. I'm having trouble with the giant down the road. You're the one who's going to face him toe to toe. Wipe that grin right off his face and whip this army into shape. I'm going to turn the nation back to me, and David, you're right about one thing. Your little shepherd's songs are going to make the whole world sing, and I'm going to make you king. So come on, let me dream, let me dream for you. I am strong when you are weak, and I'll carry you. So let go of your plan, be caught by my hand. I'll show you what I can do when I dream for you. I have a dream for you. Now, Mark Hall, the lead singer of Casting Crowns, is also a youth pastor. And this is what he says about the song that he wrote. The kids in our youth group sang backup vocals on this song, and I wanted a bunch of high schoolers to come in and sing this song to give life to the truth. That before you plan your future, you should make sure you're not following your dream instead of God's dream. God's dream is a lot bigger than yours, and God doesn't need you to pull off his dream for you. He can do that if you'll just follow him. He says, I've had that conversation so many times with so many high schoolers sitting in my office. Just let God be creative and let him do what he's doing. They carry on in the song as if God may be speaking to Mary and Joseph. Hey, Mary, I've heard you've been dreaming, making plans for your big wedding day. You and Joseph are going to be a picture-perfect family, maybe a couple of kids down the road, but I've been thinking. Even before time began, I had a picture-perfect plan of how to save this world, this broken world, through the life of just one man. I'm going to send my only son, and Mary, you're the one. You were right about one thing. You're going to have that family. You're going to raise a king. I'm stronger than you think I am. I'll take you farther than you think you can. You sing and call me the great I am. So take your stand, my child. If you only knew all the plans that I have for you, just trust me. I will follow through. You can follow me. So come on, let me dream. Let me dream for you. I know... I am, I am strong when you're weak, and I'll carry you. So let go of your plan. Be caught by my hand. I'll show you what I can do when I dream for you. I have a dream for you. So what about all this? I will contend that there would have been no bigger call upon a person's life to enact God's good plan than what God called Mary to do to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, to carry God's Son for nine months, to give birth to God's Son, to watch Him live for 33 years, and then to die the death He died. All part of God's great plan. Incredible. What an incredible plan. And they were guided along His journey early on. When you and I think about what God has been trying to do and he's trying to do in the world, 
When we wrestle in our own lives and we wrestle as a church, God, what do you have for us? When we even look at our own lives and think to where we've been all our life, last few years since time we were born, we often question or we doubt Or we sometimes say, I actually don't have a clue what God is doing in my life. I don't know where he wants me. I don't know what he's trying to do. What I want to communicate here in the next while is that actually God directs and speaks all our lives throughout our whole history where he's wanting us. He's not leaving it, leaving it for us to guess. I, I look at, I look at, I wanted to say poor Mary and Joseph, what they all had to go through, but that was part of their call. How Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Mary, told her what was going to happen. How another angel appeared to Joseph. And then John leaping in Elizabeth's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And then the birth of John, the baptizer, and the miracle of his dad, Zachariah, regaining his voice once he named him John. The way things worked out for a major manger to be available for Jesus to arrive. Then the angels announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds in quite the amazing way. The shepherds then coming in to visit Mary and Joseph. And then in Luke chapter 2.19, it says, but Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. And then even up to two years later, the Magi come in to visit the young family bearing gifts for the family. Now, I want you to notice one specific intersection between Mary and Joseph and a couple of other people. And if you can, I want you to be thinking ahead that throughout your life, throughout my life, God has had numerous different intersections with people that help direct us and move us individually and as a church. So if we look into Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name was given him by the angel even before he was conceived to Joseph. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of the child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Eight days later, the baby was circumcised, according to religious law, named Jesus according to the angel's instructions. Then 33 days later, according to Mosaic law, also according to the religious law, they were to present their firstborn son at the temple in Jerusalem with an offering. Now, keep in mind that Mary and Joseph were simply doing their religious duty. Note that. They were simply doing their religious duty. They were going from Bethlehem to Jerusalem 40, 41 days later. 
Then we come to Simeon. Verse 25, now there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms, praising God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you've promised me, I've seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of his people Israel. And Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said. Mary and Joseph show up at the temple according to the religious law. Simeon moves to the temple, just goes to the temple, led by the Holy Spirit. Now let's carry on to Anna, verse 39. Anna, the prophet, was also there in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and was very old. She was a widow, for her husband had died when she had been married only seven years, and she was now 84 years old. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about Jesus to everyone who had been waiting for the promised king to come, and to, deliver, and to deliver Jerusalem. I want you to notice this. Are you putting it together? Mary and Joseph show up based on religious law to the temple. Simeon shows up because he's led by the Holy Spirit. Anna just happens to show up. Now, was God in that? Yes, he was. That's the answer. He was in it. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine all four of them holding Jesus and comparing notes and telling the story of the birth? Can you imagine Simeon and Anna's mind whirling as they readjust their thoughts? I don't think they necessarily knew it would be a baby, maybe. All of a sudden, there's a baby that's the Messiah. And what about Mary and Joseph hearing about Simeon and Anna who have been praying for the Messiah and realizing to a deeper degree who their son is, is indeed? Can you imagine as they told all the stories that was going on and talked and shared together? I want you to notice how God leads in this particular intersection which actually can, shows pictures of, as we look back in our past, as we look ahead to the future, of how God is intersecting in our lives. It's a religious activity. It's led by the Holy Spirit, and they just accidentally happen to show up. That's one intersection between Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. God is in it. He pulled them together for Mary and Joseph's benefit, probably most of all. 
Can you recount in your mind, can I recount in my mind, how many different intersections there are in my life of significant people that I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. We always talk about people being in the wrong place at the wrong time. What about all the times when we've been in the right place at the right time? And how many different people over my life had an impact, small or big or humongous, because either the Holy Spirit led them into my life, led them into your life, or just happened to come along and bump into this person. Who knew? God did. God's good plan for you. God, in His sovereign plan, places a call and purpose for each of our lives, no matter where we are at. Not one of us in this auditorium is created by accident. Not one of us. We're always, every part, doesn't matter the circumstance of the birth, it doesn't matter the circumstance of the conception, you're all created on purpose by God. And that plan is for the world. We're involved in that plan for the world and his church around the world. We just observed that in four lives that intersect for a conversation, I don't know if they ever talked again. I kind of suspect that as long as Simeon and Anna were alive and as Jesus' family, they kept coming back to Jerusalem every year, that they connected and caught up as they visited. The God of the universe has lots of intersections for our lives. So we hear those words many times in our lives, God has a great plan for your life. And then we dismiss them. We blow those words off by saying, God can never use me, nor would he ever want to. If he only knew, well, he does know. Oh, I'm too old. Not a good excuse. I'm too young. Take a look at our children's ministry. I'm not good enough. Really? If there's one lie that I've seen over and over and over and over again in personal ministry, the one lie that the devil puts into your mind, just, just believe me, it's a lie. He puts into our minds, into our hearts, I'm not good enough. That's a lie. Just believe it. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Just believe it is a lie. What did David have? David of the Old Testament. What, what did he have to offer God? What did Mary and Joseph have to offer? I find it interesting that in the New Testament, we don't really know anything. It doesn't say anything about who Mary and Joseph were. Maybe the writer didn't care to write about it, or maybe there was nothing Maybe there was nothing significant about Mary and Joseph other than their heart. We have all kinds of reasons and excuses. We even compare ourselves to others, and then we disqualify ourselves, taking ourselves out of the race. We take ourselves out of God's plan for us. Let's not do that. 
There is a big plan and there is a harvest. My daughter, Delaine, wrote a story a couple of months ago that, that really grabbed me, and I'm going to read that, and then we're going to go into the application. It really helps to put this plan and that there's something bigger than us and that God's moving and working in our lives. His hands met the plow like dust meets the earth. Calloused and bleeding, they worked tirelessly, chafing against the wood grain handles he held firm. He'd been at it for days, months, years on end, working towards the end. He had gained many injuries in the process. His hands were roughened, hard patches of skins covered his palms. His fingers were always bruised and bleeding. The cutting seemed endless. His hands showed his work, showed his passion, his delight. The only spot on them that remained untouched were the scars in the center. Those stayed soft. Those scars never bled. They never scratched. They never calloused over. Those scars stayed constant, a reminder of why this fight was so important, of why even now he never stopped working. He looked up from his work, from the plow and the oxen pulling it, to see his father. His father was strong. He worked harder than anyone, always pushing, always found on the field, plowing his way through, readying it for the harvest to come. As he watched his father head to the plow, eyes like doves, he realized how tireless he was, always fighting, always working. They passed others on the field working alongside of them, and, but they were new, some of them, and most of them didn't know how to use the instruments they had been given. And those with the sickle tried endlessly to lift it, but often stumbled. Those using the plow struggled to manage the oxen pulling it. The men and the women planting seeds seemed to sometimes plant too eagerly, scattering them abundantly, but forgetting to come back and water them, allowing them to die in the sun's heat. And those who volunteered to water often grew weary, standing in the heat all day, running back and forth to the well. The father would come alongside sometimes and lift their tools for them and show them how to hold it, how to work it. Bending beside those who planted in water, he encouraged them to remember the harvest that was coming and the importance of it. Most times, his father would ask him to help the workers, urging them to learn quickly, and he would help. His scars proved it. He would care for the workers, bring them food and water, clothe them in his home at night, and he gave them shelter from the storms when they came. He encouraged them when they met together. Gently, he whispered words of love, words that allow them to lift their weary heads, lift their drooping hands, strengthen their weakened knees. He spoke to the lame lying in the fields, tired and unable to work, and healed them so that they could stand and contribute. He and his father knew 
that there were not enough workers, but they pushed on, nurturing those they had and praying more would join. The horizon only grew darker. The storms raged more often, but still they worked. John 15, verse 17, John 5, verse 17 says, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So what do we do? What do we do? Submit and trust God's plan. We may not understand it. It may not make sense. But trust that God has a plan. He's in charge. And he's doing what he will do. We can trust that. Ask ourselves some good questions then. God, have I hurt your plan by my sin? Have I sidelined myself? I invite you to repent. God, have you sidelined me because of my persistent, arrogant, and unrepentant sin? I ask you to repent. I plead with you to repent. God, am I afraid of your plan? Sometimes we imagine a plan that is scary, that's way beyond us, that's so unreal and so, so scary. But it may not even be the real plan at all. Trust God in our fear. Are you overwhelmed? Are you overwhelmed at what's all going on in your life? I've reflected lots on Job's wife, who often gets a bad rap. And she looked at all that Job had gone through. And we remember her famous words, why don't you just curse God and die? And we shake our fingers at her. But we actually don't realize that she also lost children and grandchildren. She also lost the farm. She also lost everything right alongside. And I imagine Job's wife, if we're to be understandable, looking at it and going, I'm, I'm done. I am absolutely done. I don't have anything left. And I know many of us in this congregation have been there in your own life where you're done. And all you can do is just give up. And I say, don't, don't give up. Don't, don't curse God and die. Trust him. God, what if I don't like your plan? God, what if I actually don't like what you're doing? That's where we talk with him. We ask him to clarify, and even if he doesn't, we say, I trust you, God. I submit to you, God, whatever you have.
And I would rather trust the God of the universe. I would rather trust God that has it all in his plan. He's got it than to trust myself with my own plans. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Lord Jesus, we just want to be quiet before you for a moment. Before we rush out, before we sing our closing song, would you speak to us? Is there something that you are saying to us that we need to do about your plan? Is there some area that we need to submit? Is there some area that we need to trust you? Jesus, we say. And if we can't, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us the courage and give us the power to say we trust you. We must. You've got, you've got us, God. You've got us personally. You've got us as a church. You actually have this whole world in your hands. And sometimes we wonder but we trust and we submit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.